My name is Tom Chick, and I am not playing The Captain is Dead. And this is Hassan Lopez, and I am not playing Star Wars Outer Rim. And this is Mike Pullman, and I am not playing Museum. Is anybody playing Outer Rim, by the way, Hassan? Or was that a tease? <laughs> it's actually not out yet. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's on my it's on my maybe list. I'm I'm both excited and worried. Well, it's on my no way I'm going to play it list, but I'm pretty sure I will anyway when it comes out. Even though I'm a, saying that it's a yeah. Fantasy Flight Star Wars Legacy game. It's going to have three thousand cards and like a rule book, forty pages. Wait, it's a Legacy game? Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, huh? Well, we're not talking legacy games. We're talking real games on this podcast. Uh, And we've all chosen something solitaire, by the way, or co-op, which is in my wheelhouse. I love that it shook out this way this week. Um, But, uh, Mike, I want to start with yours because I received yours as a present uh, when it was – I think it was a Kickstarter game and it eventually found its way into retail. Mm -hmm. But I remember hearing about it and missing the Kickstarter. And then – I think it was on Christmas – a good friend of mine – basically, for Christmas, gave me his copy, and I was just so touched by that. Uh, so I've had, basically, this is my way of saying, Mike, yeah, I've had this game for some time now. <laughs> uh, so uh, tell us tell us about uh, what, what you're playing. I've been playing Deep Space D6. So, Tom, have you actually played it, or do you just have it? Oh, no, no, I've played it, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Even the campaign a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so I just picked this up uh, just a couple days ago. I've played it twice now, including about a half hour ago. <laughs> Uh, it is a purely solitaire game. Uh, kind of reminds me of both uh, Vlada Chvatel's Space Alert in some ways, and also uh, the video game FTL. Yes. So you are commanding a ship uh, with lots of incoming threats. Uh, it's a bit of a, it's a, a worker placement game, but your workers are dice, so they're variable what they're able to be assigned to each turn. Um, and then it reminds me of Space Alert just from it's this trying to push back the horde of uh, incoming threats. Uh, as the game goes on, because it keeps it keeps you on your toes. It's not easy to win. Uh, of my two games, I lost my first one and won my second one. Um, one cool thing is that uh, the it comes with four different ships and then these little mini boards, uh, double-sided uh, color, uh, has the diagram of the ship, um, with, like the different stations where you can assign your workers for uh, firing weapons or recharging shields, uh, making repairs. Um, now, when you say assign your workers, what do yes. you mean? So uh, each turn you have uh, you have six dice. Um, on the dice faces there are the different uh, kind of state or different departments of a spaceship like commanding uh, uh, commander, science, engineering, tactical, medical, and then there's one that generates more threats. So each turn you start out rolling your dice. Um, if the threat uh, icon comes up, you kind of allocate that to one section of your board and it gets locked up. Uh, once you accumulate enough of those, it generates a new card that you have to uh, get rid of somehow. Uh, and then you are assigning those dice based on what is face up to different stations. For example, um, to recharge a shield, you need to have the science icon. Uh, so if you didn't roll any of those, you can't recharge your shields that turn. Uh, and then there's some other abilities, like on um, some of the ships, you can assign a medical guy, and it will let you re-roll uh, your other dice to see if you can get uh, a different uh, things to come up. Or uh, And then uh, a lot of the ships have a cumulative effect, for example, uh, if you assign multiple weapons dice to the weapons, it ends up doing more damage than if you'd done just uh, two individual ones. Uh, and the same for repairing. Um, now, the, I forget what yeah. the mechanism is for leadership. Uh, like, isn't there a commander die? 
There is, but it's different depending what ship you are are using. So okay. on the kind of on the starter one, it lets you change any of the other dice. Yep. Yep. So if you assign a commander dice, you can change uh, weapons die into an engineering die, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I tried one other ship um, that lets you, if you use a commander die, it lets you copy any other die. So the commander assumes the role of a weapons officer for that turn, for example. And they even vary by what kinds of weapons and the amount of shielding or hit points that they have. Like one yep. of the things that I was really delighted by uh, is how different each of the four ships feels. Yeah, for sure. Um, the Halcyon, which you mentioned, is kind of the one they recommend to start with. Just kind of your, you know, typical, you know, think of a, uh, you know, Star Trek kind of ship. Uh, up through, there's one that makes uh, makes drones. So you actually, uh, through an engineering action, create, a, for example, a weapons drone, and then from then on, until you replace it or move that drone to something else, it's generating offense. Uh, but that ship is actually pretty fragile. So I'm a little I'm interested to see how a game will go with that one. I haven't tried it yet. Yeah, and and tell us about the threats. The things that so you're, you're fighting um, against. Yeah, that's, it's a deck of cards. Um, there's two different kinds of threats, uh, external and internal. Uh, along the right-hand side of uh, the shipboard, there's four slots, which are essentially to keep track of the uh, kind of the hit points of external threats. So you might turn over a card that says it's a fighter, and it's got a little two in the corner, which means it goes in slot two, starting with two health. And then it will have um, on it a picture of, se- of several dice faces. Maybe it's a three, four, or five. Uh, and at the towards the end of your turn, you roll a d6, a regular d6, and you activate any of the cards that have a matching number. Uh, and from the most basic level, it might say it does two damage, or it might say uh, this one ignores shields and then does a damage directly to your hull. Uh, there's ones that are boarding parties. There's a nebula that's not, you know, it's essentially just disabling your shields for a while. There's kind of a a, a large variety. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then there are also internal threats. Uh, which might be anything from, you know, a crew member got sick to someone got distracted. There's one card where they're discussing philosophy and you just have to spend a card on it. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of amusing. Uh, and then, um, so for the external threats, you can get rid of them through uh, sheer damage. Uh, internal threats, you typically have to assign certain officers to it to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, the one I mentioned about discussing some cosmic... Uh, universe thing you have to sign a science officer to it and then once you do essentially losing that science officer for the turn the card goes away uh, each turn like i said starts with rolling those dice which might generate a threat uh, assigning all your workers uh, then you draw a new threat from the deck and then you roll that d6 to activate all the things that match mm-hmm. and then after you make your way through the whole deck uh, you fight this capital ship they call them Ouroboros. So I'm so glad to hear you mention this, by the way, because that's yeah. they present that almost as an optional rule. Like, um, use the Ouroboros at the end if you want. But I think that's kind of that, – that's a key to, I think, playing the game is working your way up to that, that big Ouroboros. Those cards are in the bottom of the deck that you know you yep. have to deal with. Yeah. And at, at least the second printing, they actually put a, an alternate version, too, where you mix those cards in the regular deck. And then as soon as you get the sixth one of them out, because it's six cards big, mm-hmm. uh, the Ouroboros shows up right then, so it can show up before the end of the game. Yep. And and does your copy have, like, a couple of uh, different kind of endgame bosses? No, just two. The other ones came in okay. an expansion. Um, that's that's I, what I'm talking about, the other one. And, yeah, and if the other one feels weird for setting up kind of a network of connected, I forget if there's circuits or something, but I remember it felt very different from the Ouroboros. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the Ouroboros reminds me a lot of the FTL comparison. You get to this end boss where uh, there's uh, one of the cards is this shield, which while that's available, you can't attack any other segments of it. 
the other segments being different weapons and then the core, which you have to destroy to get rid of it. Uh, in the shield, you can get rid of. It only takes two damage. But then any time you roll five on that threat roll, it pops right back up. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit where you have to get rid of that, and then hopefully you have more dice to actually do some damage to the systems that matter. Does the does the boss feel so unfair that you want to pull your eyes out, or is it <laughs> is it does it feel satisfying at the end? So when I got to the boss in my second game that I won, I was at full health and shields, so I was in pretty good shape, um, and I felt it was a good fight. I didn't, you know, once I get down to one no shields and one health, so I was near dead, but I ended up killing him. So it it felt pretty balanced from my one encounter. <laughs> so, and it really figured... does feel like a matter of of keeping your ship as intact as you can mm-hmm. for that final battle. Right. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And there's, in the another time in that game, I got really low on health too, and it's, you can get to a point where you're you're rolling dice and you're not getting any of your weapon systems or any ability to change to weapon systems. Um, like in the game I just played, all I have was the ability to copy a die. So if I didn't roll any of the red ones to let me attack. Uh, or actually attack threats, I just can't shoot. So I ended up in a situation where I think I had six or seven threat cards out at once, and I'd roll some numbers, and four of them would do damage to me. So it was not looking good, but I, I pulled it out of there. So Now, so Hassan, of... does that sound aggravating to you, this idea that you've got a ship and it's got guns on it, but because the dice aren't rolling <laughs> gunners, you can't use your guns? Yes. I mean, I, I guess it begs the question of how much mitigation of luck is built into the design like um are there multiple ways to manipulate the die faces or is it more a game about kind of rolling with the punches and seeing what what you can do with with what you've been given i I think it depends on the ship you take wouldn't you say mike yeah each of the ship's commander ability has something to do with helping you get a role that's not there Uh, like i said the basic one when you get that commander die you can change any die to any other die so let's use wilds essentially Mm. Uh, and the one I just had only let you copy though. So while it increases your chances of getting what you need, if you roll, you know, a Yahtzee and I'll roll science guys, doesn't really help you. So, uh, and then, like I said, that drone ship I mentioned, you can, you know, create a drone that's weapons. And then until you decide to reassign it or bring it back in, you're going to have damage, uh, every turn. And, and I also, have you, so have you looked at the campaign at all, Mike? That's also an expansion, so I don't have it. Oh, I'm so, oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm really bummed to hear that because that's one of the things that really struck me when I was going through the box. Um, right, so two things that, that this brings to mind for me is there was an old pen and paper RPG that I remember as a kid called Traveler. Oh, and yeah. one of the things you would do in Traveler is you roll up your character, and if your character is of a certain type, you might get a starting spaceship. And in Traveler, the spaceships were all drawn on graph paper, and it was a it was, a, it was like an FTL layout where you could see here's the bridge, and then back here where the engines are, and here's where the gunnery control is, and this is the life support system. And just looking at that layout of a spaceship, and you know having watched things like Star Trek and wondering what the Millennium Falcon looks like, it was really cool to see a diagram of a spaceship in a game like that. Mm-hmm. So this is what uh, the uh, DC. D6 reminds me of is here's this diagram of a spaceship. Geographically, the spacing of the things doesn't matter so much. It's all about like where you put the dice. But I just love this top-down view of a spaceship and all of its little functional pieces and how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it reminds me of that a lot. Uh, it, it also reminds me of a game I tried recently, and I really didn't like it, called The Captain is Dead. Does either mm-hmm. of you guys know that one? I know of it, but I do not own it. 
The captain is dead is the same thing. It's a top-down view of a spaceship, but instead of rolling dice and then those are your crew members and you assign them where you want, you have little standees that represent specific crew members. There's a captain and a science officer, and, and you walk them around the board and they deal with crises that pop up. And it felt much more directly like FTL where you're moving your dudes around. But it was also just a really simplistic... I don't want to say dumb, because I'm sure some people enjoy that thing, but it was just super simplistic, like, roll my dice, my guy can move that many spaces, uh, okay, now he has to spend turn in this room to put out this fire, and then this other guy, it just didn't feel, um, it just felt too much like walking dudes around arbitrarily on a board, which I just, it, I didn't, I don't, I don't really care for that sort of thing, and each dude, of mm-hmm. course, has some little asynchronous, some little asymmetrical power he can do, mm-hmm. um, but I, so I, it, it reminded me of, uh, there's a game called Flashpoint, where you're mm-hmm. literally walking around putting out fires. Mm-hmm. The, the mechanics are super simple, but each fireman has one little tweak he can do. It just felt like that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this feels like managing these, these interactive systems with these dice that you get, and it's almost like the dice are the power output or whatever on any given turn, and you have to puzzle over how to allocate that. And it's a lot less about, oh, my science officer doesn't have enough movement to get over there, so he's going to have to go do something that he's less optimally qualified to do. Uh Um, More of like a movement dude allocation puzzle versus this dice puzzle where the dice can be used in different ways, and especially the way the leadership works and the different weapons work on the different ships. Mm -hmm. so it reminded me of those two things, Traveler and Captain is Dead, but uh, in, in a very positive way. So the campaign, which is what one of the things that caught my eye, uh, you start out with a ship and an allocation of fuel, and there's a little hex map, and you move to a hex and you burn a point of fuel, and then you check that hex to see if anything happens. And if something happens, you'll, you'll fight a little mini-crisis deck. And you could take persistent damage, or you can get treasure or fuel to repair up. And you're trying to work your way across this map to get to the end. And along the way, some of the little map hexes will refer you to a a paragraph in a little textbook with little paragraphs that explain things that happen. And you Mm -hmm. can get to stores and upgrade your stuff and uh, upgrade different weapons. Um, So it's just a very simple thing laid out on a sheet of hex paper. There's little wooden markers that you use. But there's fuel allocation. Your crew members can acquire certain adjectives like uh, intrepid or cowardly or technically savvy that might be referred to in other paragraphs. Oh, uh, that's cool. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. pretty simple, and I can imagine it's maybe good for two or three playthroughs, uh, but I just really like that that was in there as, as a context for these ships once you've kind of learned for learned how they work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, overall, I've been pretty happy with this game. I'm always on the lookout for kind of lighter, solitaire experiences when I can get them. Um, it has a really cool box, kind of looks like a. I was going to say, adventure. yeah, tell us about the packaging. Yeah. <laughs> so they, the cover art is a direct ripoff of old Choose Your Own Adventure books, <laughs> uh, but it comes in this box with a magnetic clasp, and it stores all the little uh, components since the boards are small in a little book-sized uh, case. And the, so. the little sides of the the box or pages like it's it's clearly wants to evoke opening a choose your own adventure book which i thought was Mm -hmm. really cute yeah yeah it's it's got a it's got a retro aesthetic thing going on Mm -hmm. and 
And on the one hand, I've found that appealing because it's got a clean look to it um, mm -hmm. in terms of the graphic design and all that. On the other hand, I find I, just looking at it because I've never played it, it looks a little bland to me. Do, did you guys feel that at all, or do you are you able to fill in the gaps pretty easily with your imagination? I, I was able to fill in the gaps pretty easily. Um, like Tom mentioned, it, it, the ship diagrams remind me a lot of Traveler, which mm -hmm. I played in my years too. Um, so I kind of I find that appealing because it reminds me of that. <laughs> um, and the te the cards with the threats are just text and a couple icons. There's no, you know, there's hardly any artwork other than the ships. And I seem um, to recall those were pretty just like fighter, destroyer, cruiser. Yeah. Like I seem to recall those were just kind of bland ship names yeah. mostly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then again, the background of the, like when you're, there's a capital ship coming at you, you'll see a little uh, silhouette in the background of what the ship's supposed to look like. But it's very much in your imagination. Um, but I don't know, for a relatively inexpensive game, I, I'm I'm very happy with it. What's and your, I think I think the non. The... Oh, sorry. Well, real quick, one of the things also that's not bland is the personality that each different ship has in terms of how it plays, how its right. weapons work, uh, what its captains can do. Uh, I think that overcomes any sort of the blandness of hey, you're just fighting generic alien fighters and alien destroyers and alien carriers and whatnot mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah right yeah. right right you were you wondering about the price uh hassan um actually the the play time because it oh. seems to me like this this is aimed at that almost like lunchtime um you know i have i have 20 minutes uh i want to play a solitaire game like you know like one deck dungeon sort of fits into this group and yeah. is that what we're talking about like a 15 20 minute game or something longer um it's about a half hour for my second game when i already knew all the rules and I didn't have to look anything up. So, uh, and it's mostly the the you have to get through the entire deck. So is what takes time. And they actually have in the setup some instructions. If you want a faster game, remove eight cards or six cards. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. yeah. Could and you play it? Could you play it on an airplane? And do you guys ever play stuff on airplanes? Oh, I don't think I could. I don't think. Yeah, I, man. Maybe I a card you, game. You could because you could use the box to roll in and right. contain the dice. Um. It would be better. The boards as a, are small know, enough, I guess. Yeah, I guess I'd worry more about losing those little um, little cubes for checking your uh, your uh, oh, uh, right. hull and shields. Now you could, you know, substitute some of that over to like an iPad or something. But and then you'd have to deal with like someone staring at you and asking, "What, what are you playing?" <laughs> that would, yeah, that would be my issue playing a board game on an airplane. <laughs> when you do something like that on an iPad, no one bad, no one thinks twice. But but if you start rolling out actual dice. <laughs> So, and then also in the deck, there are six cards that just say "Don't Panic," which are essentially a "Nothing Happens" card. Whoa, so those can... are difficulty level thing. You're playing on baby level now, Mike. I, I am. So now <laughs> I'm gonna start pulling those out because you know uh, they recommend all six for easy, three for medium, and only one of them for hard mode. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, we'll pad the we're gonna give you a break. We're gonna pad the deck with a uh, with cards that don't do anything, and <laughs> yep. as you as you get more used to it, you take the training wheels off. Yeah, yeah. So, well, well, Mike, one of the reasons I'm glad you're talking about this is uh, it reminds me in a way of a game that I've been playing lately that I'm really sad about not liking because this is also a game about chucking a bunch of dice and assigning them. Uh, it's not a spaceship, though. The idea behind this game is that you are building airships. And the reason that this appealed to me is it's part of what are called the Oniverse series, uh, published by Z-Man, uh, designed by a really clever fellow named Shadi Torby, and a woman named Elise Plessy does the artwork. 
And the artwork in these games is, is the first thing that hooked me, but uh, Torby's approach to familiar mechanics uh, and the way he sort of manages them, manages them and tweaks them thematically. Uh, I've, been, I've been with this series all along. Uh, with the exception of his first game, Urbion is out of print. I have no idea what that's like. Uh, but everything he's done since then, I think there are four I've really liked. And this fifth one that just came out called Arion is the one about building ships. But before I tell you why I don't like Arion, I need to briefly explain why I do like his other games. His other games, so the Oniverse universe, it's this Picasso-like, weird, uh, distorted, kind of abstract artwork, uh, and there are consistent elements across the games. Uh, somebody, either the artist or Torby himself, really likes squirrels because they're these squirrel heroes and spies that are consistent throughout the games. Uh, and each game uses some basic mechanic uh, to thematically express this idea. In the first game, uh, Onirim, actually the second game, because again, Urbion, which is out of print, I don't know that. That was his first game, no longer available. Onirim is uh, easily, is readily available right now. That's just a card management game. And the conceit there is that you're managing dreams. And each of the cards is moving you through a dream house. And the dream house has an observatory and an aquarium and a library. And these are really just colors that you're managing. Uh, and each of the rooms has a color, but then the artwork uh, is related somehow to each of these rooms. And in this dream, you're trying to find the doors to escape. And it's all about dealing with cards to look for these doors. Uh, and once you acquire all the doors to escape the dream, uh, you've won the game. And one of the cool things that he does is you have the very basic game, and then he adds to each of them, you know, four, five, or six, what are called modules. And they're ways that you can mix up the game. Almost every single one adds something to make the game harder and something to make the game easier simultaneously. So it just adds some complexity. Uh, in Onarim, the idea is that you would add two or three modules, uh, and it would really flesh out the game. You don't want to throw all of them in there, because that would get a little crazy. Uh, so that was Onarim, and the second one he did was called Sylveon. And the idea of Sylveon is you are a forest, and you are the forest animals, and you're these fountains that live in the forest. And a fire is tearing its way across the forest. And you have to work with the fountains and the animals to stop it, and to save as many trees as you can. And that was kind of a tower defense game. He did one called Castellian. And Castellian was a tile drawing game, where you draw a tile and you lay it, and you're building a castle. And the configuration of your castle, and the various ways that you lay the pieces together, will help it survive against different threats. For instance, if you make a flat line, that will help you survive against these big old worms that burrow up underneath the castle if you have a solid foundation. If you build vertical lines, those represent towers, and those will protect you from these flying uh, ravenous shrikes that come in and attack you. Uh, so you're laying out this configuration of tiles to make a cool castle, and the very simple layout of your castle helps protect you against certain types of creatures. And again, it had all these modules you could fold in. Um, so the, the fourth game that he made, which I was a little leery about because it's Roll and Move. And I am pretty convinced that Roll and Move should be a dead mechanic. Uh, I, I don't think there's... Uh, you know, I just think of Talisman and Monopoly. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Roll and Move just doesn't work 
for me. And this is pretty straight up roll and move. But here's what Torby did, and, and this is called Nautilion, and it's a submarine-themed game. Uh, you, first of all, lay out a track using just little tiny components, and you're just supposed to throw them out all on the table and then sort of shove them around until you've made a vaguely spiral track. And then you start at one end of the track. It's like going down a whirlpool. But then these evil pirates start at the other end. And then there's this, like, storm god that's overlooking everything, and he's got uh, cards that flip out every turn. So it's roll and move your submarine, but you roll three dice, and you choose which one's going to move your submarine, which one's going to move the evil pirate ship closer to your submarine, and they're going to lead up to a big conflict when they finally meet, and which one you're going to sacrifice to the storm god who's going to make something weird happen. Mm. So it's roll and move, but... You've got three roles, and you have to decide who's going to use which role and which one you're going to sacrifice. And as you move along the track, you're building up your submarine, and you're recruiting crew members. Uh, and it's all about trying to survive that encounter with the pirate ship so you can get past that and then get to the middle of the whirlpool and save the ocean. Um, so that ended up really working for me. So here comes Arion. Just came out. It's about building airships. That seems like a great fit for the kind of whimsy of this Oniverse universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but much to my dismay, it's just the, the mechanics here are Yahtzee, mm-hmm. which, okay, like if there was a clever way to do that. <laughs> but the, 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 the idea of building the airships is just set collection. So a bunch of cards flip up, and to build an airship, I need a component and a crew member and a blueprint. I need a set of these three different cards. And so I roll dice, and I can re-roll them at a price, but I'm trying to get either two pairs or three of a kind or three and two, you know, a full house, or two three of a kind. You know, I've got these six dice, and I'm stuck with this dilemma of... Okay, look, I got two pairs. Do I try to then turn them into three of a kind and do a full house? You know, do I try to take one of these pairs and get four of a kind? Like, I'm terrible at that kind of calculus. And I feel like the randomness of a six-sided die just on its own Mm. is just never very gratifying to me. Like, I love rolling two six-sided dice because it's weighted towards a seven. But rolling one d6... You know, it's it's like flipping a coin that has six sides, and that's the nature of a six-sided die. Uh, <laughs> so when I've got six of them and I'm trying to get them into a configuration, and I have to decide, do I re-roll two of them for a riskier reward uh, risk determination or one of them for a lower risk-reward determination? Uh, and when it's just to collect sets, like when you build an airship, it doesn't do anything. You're just done. You've, you've yeah, made that's, this... that's, that's, that's what I was hoping you were going to say, is that once you build the airship, it kind of gives you a cool power that right. then kind of builds throughout the game. And so maybe that's in the modules, because that's how these Oniverse games work, is there's the basic game, and you might play it and go, uh, okay, but then you fold in the modules, and it gets super exciting. Nope. The airships are never <laughs> anything but a collection of types of cards. You oh, build bummer. it, and it's oh, gone. Your, your, your objective, build these six airships. In each airship, it's a blueprint card, a component card, and a crew member card. And these are just randomly flipping out, and you have to collect them. Um, there, there's, there's a couple of maybe clever things. One of the uh, cards that they fold in uh, is an egg card. 
And the longer you leave out the egg card, the more it hatches and the more powerful it gets. But again, that doesn't really do. It's just in the service of helping you collect these sets. Um, there's a there's a uh, stone clouds, and they're these clouds that are out there in the way of your airships, presumably. And you have to get them out of the way. And you get them out of the way by uh, adding hammer birds to the deck. And as you accumulate hammer birds, they can unleash their hammer power to knock out the storm clouds. Sounds and awesome. It, and exactly, but it doesn't fold. I mean, I don't know if you were being facetious, but it doesn't fold into anything that the airships do. Like the 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 stone clouds, they're literally chits that say thirty, and you have to right. accumulate thirty points of hammer birds to knock it out of the way. And if you don't knock all six of the clouds out of the way by the time the game is over, you've lost the game. There's no sense, though, that you're making a path. I mean, I guess that's the fiction, is you're making a path for your ships. But it's just a 30-point obstacle that you've got to defeat with this other resource in the course of collecting these sets. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't. maybe I need to just play it more before it works for me, but I don't recall any of his other Oniverse games. I, I never had that feeling before. All the other ones, even if there was a little trepidation with the original game, once I folded in a couple of modules or once I looked at the way that the pieces were laid out and related to each other, I, I always had an ah moment where I could mm-hmm. see what he was getting at and how the artwork was expressing different things. And Arion just has none of that for me at this point. Mm-hmm. It's too bad. I really enjoyed uh, Onarim. Uh, I haven't played the rest of them though. And they're they're such lovely presentations too. They they've, they've mm-hmm. all got a thing. It's a small. It's a little box about the size of the the D6 game, and you open it up, and there are two flaps, and you pull open each flap, and then there's the rule book, and the two little half box flaps with the backing of the rule book always create something like clouds or an ocean. Uh, and then you open it up, there's always a plastic little figure in there. And it's not just a boring old meeple. Like uh, in Onarim, it's a, it's a little dream cat. In uh, uh, Arion, it's a, it's a hell kite. <laughs> it, uh, so it's, it's, it's one of the little modules that you use. Um, so I love the presentation, and I love that there's one of these cute little plastic pieces in each one. I love Plessy's artwork. Uh, but this one just fell completely flat for me. So... Yeah, it, it it sounds like it's really it, it depends on people's reaction to it. It's going to depend on how much they like that kind of pure distillation of Yahtzee dice manipulation, right? Does anybody like that, Yahtzee anymore, though? Like, are there people like that? I mean, I I think people um, there are there are plenty of gamers that really enjoy that feeling of like, okay, I'm going to roll some dice, and now I have to make this decision of which ones to re-roll. Um, personally, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of over it. I don't find it exciting unless the dice are in a sense, you know, sort of custom dice, um, not just simple D6s and they're contributing to something a little bit more interesting. Like I'm, I'm thinking of like roll through the ages, um, where the, the dice, you know, it's not just one through six, um, and you're still using a Yahtzee mechanic, but it's in the service of something, I think a little bit more interesting. Right. And and I think of, uh, Elder Sign. Uh, right. Oh, sure. Game, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. Is, right. is Yahtzee-ish, but has custom dice and a lot of story and bits that yeah. are changing, changing yeah. the rules. Super right. thematic with Elders. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you guys know a game called, and I'm going to screw up the name, uh, it's, I think it's called something like Gans and Shurn. It's, nope. it's like It's, it's <laughs> a new, I've totally butchered the name, I'm sure. It's a newish Yahtzee game. And it's completely abstract. Like there's no. I think the only thing that's not an abstraction in it is there's a 
there's a goat or a fox face or something and everybody gets a scoring pad and you're trying to you're basically playing Yahtzee but as you complete bits of it you unlock different ways to manipulate the dice I mean I hated it because it was yeah. just straight up Yahtzee but yeah. it's it's relatively popular I mean it's like a newish popular Yahtzee game that I presume is big in Germany because it doesn't even have an English title uh, it's just a German phrase mm-hmm. um, so all right, so Hassan, get us out of this this dice nonsense. What <laughs> is something that you're playing? Actually, are there dice in this? And uh, Unicornus Knights. I yeah. uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. No, I don't think there's. No, there is. There's plenty of dice when you're doing combat. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, oh, right. Of course. Oh my gosh. How, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, tell us about this thing. Cause what kind of name is Unicornus Knights? <laughs> well, I'm I'm cheating a little bit here because Tom already published a really excellent review of this. I think it was over a year ago. Which, um, by the way, it doesn't mean we can't talk about it. I'm more than happy to yeah. hear you guys' impression of stuff that I've written about. Yeah. Yeah, but I would say I would tell people like go read it. It's a it's a good review, and it, it was one of the things that got me to you know put this on my wish list, and and eventually I acquired it in a trade, and I've been playing it lately and really enjoying it. Um, it's a it's a cooperative game, but I would argue, and I'm, I'm much like Tom on this, that it's definitely best played solitaire. Um, you, you could conceivably play up to, I think, four people in this, um, and and I could maybe imagine playing at two players, where each player controls two characters. But I I don't know. I don't see myself ever playing this not solitaire. And is it, is it because is, of the thing where some sometimes people are stuck just with boring moves and other people get to do exciting stuff? Like it's 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 not. I think that, yeah, that's. I mean, that's a big part of it, and also just it's it's a puzzle game. It's a really lovely, thinky, puzzly game, and yeah. those types of games I want to just set up on my desk and kind of walk away from it and think about it and come back to it and work through my turns very slowly and leisurely. I mean, they they put a I think a time to play of sixty minutes, sixty to ninety minutes on the box, and I'm definitely not taking sixty to ninety minutes when I play this. But it's also because I'm really taking my time with it, which is yeah. how I like to play games like, um, you know, Mage Knight or Spirit Island, and I would put that in this category for it's, sure. It's definitely not a co-op game like Eldritch Horror or whatever. Where you're flipping up cards and making cool things happen, and everybody's right. like, "Hey, what's going to happen to my character this turn?" Yeah, yeah, right. But um, yeah, the theme of it is totally bizarre, and I love it. It's um, you're escorting a, 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 I guess, a, a clueless but determined anime <laughs> princess. Um, she's she's got ideals. <laughs> <laughs> who is who is riding a unicorn um, across a randomly generated fantasy landscape that I guess is I would say it's seeded with um, a dirty dozen of really bad dudes mm-hmm. and. That that seeding of bad dudes is is one of the beating hearts of the game. It's um, the the baddest dude who's at the other end of the map that from the princess is the emperor. And your goal in the game is to basically carve a path for your princess so that she can get to um, where the emperor is and end up occupying his space. And if you can get her there safely without her dying before time runs out, you you win the game. So it's it's definitely a game about planning and optimizing your resources and your turns, solving these intricate, I think, um, logistical puzzles that will confront you um, on a turn-to-turn basis. And logistics is definitely a core part of the game because um, in order to fight 
the battles and you're going to be fighting a lot of battles in the game, you need both basic resources to move your armies as, as well as you need units in your armies. And there's a really nice intertwining feature between those, which is that the larger your army is, the more resources you need to move. Um, and different characters that are in the back lines can actually use actions to send resources up to the characters on the front line. So it creates this really interesting set of decisions you have to make about how big an army you want to have and which, which heroes are in a sense going to be sacrificed to the role of support characters and which are going to be doing most of your fighting for you. Um, it's a really crunchy logistical puzzle. Um, and, and on top of that, I would also say that it's a game about rolling with the punches because there is some really interesting randomness that comes with the design. It's There's a large amount of determinism in the game and there's a large amount of randomness. And I, I would argue that it's a really um, great combination between those two features, um, something that I, I was going to talk a little bit more about. Um, but yeah, I would say I'm really digging it. I would put it in my top five solo games, definitely. Oh, wow, wow, yeah. yeah I'd, I'd put it below spirit island and mage knight but above nemo's war i would play this over nemo's war i think uh you, the one of the things that I, you mentioned you called them kind of a dirty dozen but uh each of these these uh big tiles that you randomly put together to make the kingdom and then the emperors at the other side uh the personality like each tile has a specific i forget if they call them like generals or barons or uh, the, as a villain that's going right. to get in the way of the princess. And the villain's an actual character that'll move around, but it begins on its little uh, domain. Um, and the layout of the map is part of what is going to determine like how the game plays. Um, because each of these villains has unique, interesting uh, behaviors, like an AI that drives them, uh, that makes them all feel distinct. And sometimes it's very helpful to have some in certain uh, configurations and other times like somebody's a huge pain in the ass and you're like how am I ever going to get past that uh, right. I don't remember a lot of the specifics but there's like isn't it there's like twins there's a vampire who constantly resurrects uh, right. there's the emperor's daughter I think who you can win right. over yeah that's right yeah the the enemies and and the heroes have an enormous yeah. amount of character like I, I think that that is the, the most fun part about the design is exploring the different characters in the game and how they how they change up your experience. Yeah, like in my first play session, right smack in the middle of the map was the King of the Abyss. And he's this giant demonic asshole who just sits right there. And if you go into his his tile, he's just gonna wreck your armies like every every turn you spend in that tile um he just cuts your armies down i think by two and so and he's got a lot of hit points so it's it's kind of tough to take him out in one turn um and so when when that is presented to you because a really satisfying part of this puzzle is setting up the game and then stepping back from it and yeah. and analyzing it and being if you like, like okay. looking at a random map like yeah. and then deciding how am I going to make my way across this map and making yeah. all those decisions it is a beautiful setup yeah yeah mm -hmm. I love it I love it it's so it's so fun and yeah you're just sitting you're sitting back and um, trying to optimize and plan your path through this this you know this chaos that's unfolding and if the king of the abyss is in the middle right there um you're you know that's going to potentially cause some problems for you so and the you good thing about him is he's he's one that's not mobile right like other guys will chase you down other guys just sit there and squat in your way 
Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, Hassan, can you think of any other game, and actually you too, Mike, can you guys think of any other game in which characters in the game fall in love? Hmm. I mean, the only thing that comes to mind are the ones that are, that's like the whole point of the game. Oh, right, like there's like a Sims life game thing. That well, there's, there's this one called And Then They Hold Hands. Oh, right. It's, it's, it's meant to play with, you know, uh, you know, a girlfriend or whatever. Okay. Right. So other than that, I can't think of any others other than um, <laughs> Last Night on Earth, the uh, the zombie game, has a card that says it is the last night on Earth and two characters get delayed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, now that you mentioned it, okay, I can think of cute things like that in uh, like Dawn of the Zeds and stuff. Okay, so fair enough. But, but that's a part – so Hassan, explain how this works in Unicornus Knights because there's this whole weird idea – of characters, and it, and I think this gets to it's almost like Japanese anime uh, uh, angle. Uh, this whole weird idea that uh, characters can have these weird personal destinies. Right. It's it's one of the it's one of the features of the game that will make you feel like oh I've never played a game like this before. Right. Which is really satisfying after you've been playing board games for a long time and you're kind of on the lookout for things that are new and different and interesting. And Japan's a good place to look for that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, there's this deck called a fate deck. And as soon as one of your heroes enters into the same area as one of these villains where we've been talking about, you have to draw a random fate card. And I believe that the deck is 50-50 is in the sense that 50% of them will will potentially give you an opportunity to bring that enemy over to your side. Like, for example, it might say that that enemy is now fated to fall in love with you, um, and they'll join your side. Or um, one of them is called, you know, grudging respect. So if you go into battle with that villain, they will, they will become an ally of yours and actually boost your hero's ability and add to your your forces right you take their card and you sort yeah. of can sub there's a bonus ability that they'll offer if you if you win them over yeah, hmm. yeah. and okay. it will create um periodically hilarious situations right like the <laughs> like the necromancer will fall in love with your half dragon and you'll be like yeah <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna roll with this crazy scenario but i, I it, it works and we haven't mentioned this but it works in part because of this overt anime um bizarro world princesses riding unicorns thing going on where it, it's anything can happen right um it's got a lot of the fantasy tropes and it's got a lot of the anime tropes in it but it it totally works with its narrative beats, I think. I think that it, the game unfolds with lots of funny, interesting story moments that are largely driven by the randomness in the game. And that's why I was saying, like, I, I really like the balance of both determinism in this game in the sense that you can very carefully, mathematically plot out some of the decisions and some of the things you want to do. Like, well, I, it really is a hardcore logistics game. Like, I, yeah. I don't shy away from from that sort of thing. I love logistics, but that yeah. you know, all this stuff is kind of layered on this uh, this idea of supplying each other. Like that right. that's the core of the game is making sure armies get supplies and that sounds so boring I think to most people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it hit me right away in my first game because I I, I forget I had I, one of my heroes was a, a general or something like that, but he was he was a very strong attacker and he had pretty good command value so he could he could garner a fairly large army and that was clearly what his purpose was so i immediately just 
recruited him up and got eventually, I think, an army of seven or eight. And then I was like, oh, my God, now I need to spend eight resources every time I want to move them. And that's not accounting for some of the penalties if you move into, for example, a mountain tile or um, a forest tile. So, yeah, I was I was feeding him a ton of resources just to move him across, you know, to to, you know, spaces of terrain. Um, And that's really that's really awesome. It really, and there are times when you'll actually sacrifice your army so that it can become smaller on purpose so that you can yep. maneuver them a little bit faster. Um, now tell us about this princess. Like what, what kind of, uh, is, so she just moves like one space each turn. So she's like a clock, right? You just move one space each turn towards <laughs> the emperor. And after a certain number of turns, right? Like there's no personality of the princess. She just moves in one direction. Is that how that works? Right. Yes. No. She's 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 fucking crazy, is what she is. Uh, she. Yeah. They, after you move your four heroes, um, and and take you know, uh, at least in a in a solo game, you're taking four actions with each of them. It then moves into the princess phase of the turn, and she she basically follows a set of AI rules. She's just going to follow the 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 most direct path she possibly can to the emperor. She's single minded. Right. Um, and so she will she will move, move, move if she can. Um, if she doesn't have the resources to move in her army, then she will gather um, those resources. But that that single mindedness is super clever for a couple of reasons. One is that it's one of the driving tensions in the game. Like when we think of cooperative games like Pandemic and Eldritch Horror and Arkham Horror, we often think about and you were Tom, you were just referencing that that fire game. Um, we really we do think about games where you're just having to stamp out a million fires, right? While you're trying to satisfy an overarching objective, like the fires are distracting you from the objective. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm kind of done with that design. I, I I find that exhausting now, actually, when I play co-op games like that. But the tension has to come from somewhere. And in Unicornous Nights, the tension comes from the princess just driving forward in this this path and you having realizing that if you don't carve a way for her she's going to kill herself right she's just going to suicide herself into that king of the abyss or that you can, yeah you can calculate in any given turn what she's going to do next turn like you're, right. you're looking at her and you know exactly what she's going to do because i mean she's that crazy she's just moving in a straight <laughs> line and she will move as far as the size of her armies will allow her to move yeah right yeah and um but but it also the the other brilliant part about this is that because of her ai rules and this is where the determinism sort of comes in you can actually force her and shift her to move in certain ways by for example placing your heroes in her path and getting her to go around a dangerous tile that you don't want her to go into um and figuring that out and figuring out the path that you want her to take is is super satisfying um she's also satisfyingly badass actually i've I've discovered like you there are definitely times when if she's got a juicy armor army underneath her you you do want to send her at one of these villains because she will destroy them um you don't have to roll dice when she gets in the battle she just kills them but she's going to take some she's going to take some losses and you just have to be able to compensate for that She's kind of like a yeah. She's she's part king in chess, but she's also part like the big guns that you can unveil. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, uh, if I, I seem to recall, Hassan, there are maybe four. 
when you start, you choose one of four styles of princess, um, and and one of them like they vary uh, pretty. They vary how the game plays, and one of them you can control her more directly. That's know? right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it's called the tactician. I'm actually playing that one right now, just because I was curious to know whether it undercut this feeling. One of these these this driving for sources of tension in the game, like. Um, because with when you play the tactician princess, you can choose to move her in whatever direction you want. Mm -hmm. You can you can even move her away from the capital, which, by the AI rules, typically you you're never allowed to do with her. Um, so I'm I'm trying that right now, and it's I, it's still it's still fun. I mean, it's still giving me. Um, it's an additional layer of decision making that I have. And Was there a drawback to the tactician? Like I seem to recall, they they had strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, um, I don't know what her draw. I, I I don't know if she has a serious drawback. She has a okay. fairly sizable army that she starts the game with, um, but otherwise, no. I don't I don't see any necessary drawbacks with her. I think actually the princess that frightens me the most is the one that's called the social princess, because. At the beginning of every princess phase, she immediately recruits one unit into her army, one military power, and she gains five, I think it's five resources. So it just gives her the the fuel she needs to march her dumb ass straight at the emperor, <laughs> right? And so that, I think when you're playing with the social princess, you really um, have to get your heroes out in front of her pretty quickly and make sure that she doesn't do something stupid. So the, I guess the four different princesses all have different strengths. It's not necessarily that they all have some drawback. Like, the, yeah. it, like it's not like you will always play the tactician princess because it's easier, right? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think that I started the game with I, the princess, which I thought was going to be at least the easiest to understand because she was. Right. I think she's called like the the warrior or something. But she she basically just gives you. Uh, defense of two like any, any any attack against her is cut down by two and i felt that that was a good princess to learn the game with right 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 um, uh do you do you so far have a most hated villain and or a favorite character <laughs> that's a good question i am i am not fond well it's it's interesting like one thing we haven't mentioned is that the the villains vary depending on whether they're aggressive, defensive, or neutral, right? And the aggressive ones will come at you. And at first, I found those guys the most the most annoying. Like, um, there's this one bald-headed crazy guy I can't remember. Is he looks like a barbarian and he just yells at you while he's running at you? <laughs> uh, oh, he's, yeah, he's Dorgus the Steel Hurricane. And in my first game, I was like, oh, I hate this fucker. Like, he's just got this huge army. He's coming straight at me, and I have no idea what I'm gonna do. But the the beauty of it is that when they're aggressive. Um, they come at you and you can actually set up, you know, you're a, a good defensive hero in a defensive terrain like mountains and then they'll, they'll just batter themselves against you. Which right, is so right. Satisfying. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but no, I'm, I'm really digging all the heroes so far. I think that's again, a, an aspect, uh, it's a reflection of how solid this design is. I think in, in your review, you said that, um, every hero feels like it's breaking the rules, and you're gonna you're gonna miss all of them when you play. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like in in my last couple games, I've really been missing 
Godfried, who's the knight who can heal you. Because I'm like, oh my god, I was able to heal so easily that right? first game. And now I'm like, wait, there's no healing in this game. <laughs> you can't so, go out without a cleric in the party? What are you thinking? <laughs> and um, I think so far the most interesting hero to me is actually the dragon. Um, because he doesn't require resources to move. He ignores all movement requirements so he can just fly anywhere he wants to but he also can't have an army um and he and because he can't acquire stuff he can't send it to your allies so he's he's really interesting he's super flexible when he's on your side but i almost see him as a as a liability because he can't do a lot of the support stuff that i want him to do right right uh do you know who made this game um well senji kanai right yeah Uh, yeah, which is super interesting, right? If we think of him with with Love Letter and then doing something like this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't know the other guy as well, right? There's uh, uh, Kuro is a Sinji yeah. Kanai and Kuro are the two uh, credited guys, and yeah. And this and this is one of AEG's. They bring these games over from Japan and translate them and stuff, which is kind of cool that we're getting these games that normally aren't in the American market. I have a couple of them too. Because there, there are also yeah, there are a few more by I don't know if they were by Kuro or Seiji Kanai, but there were a few more because I remember running into Unicornus Knights and just being taken aback at how unique it felt and wondering, well, what have, what other things have these guys been doing that I don't know about that aren't Love Letter? Uh, and some of them they're just not available. There's no English versions of them. Is they're they're just in in Japan? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I will say, and I think this it probably needs to be said just in case people go out and get this is that the the rule book that comes in the game oh, is is a travesty it mm. is it is just um i wouldn't say that it's necessarily laid out poorly it's just that there are there are clearly some rules that are explained incorrectly yeah, yeah. and the examples that they include in the in the rules which are designed uh, theoretically to help you understand the game are actually wrong uh, yeah. so are they uh, translation issues or were they do you know if they're there in the original yeah. I don't know. I, I, was I there there is a rewrite, so mm-hmm. I, I I I don't know who took it upon themselves to to help with the rewrite. But there's a version two rulebook out there which you can now download off of either BGG or from um, the publisher's website, and you mm-hmm. absolutely need it if you get this game. Because seriously, <laughs> I could imagine like that that screwy rulebook, reading that and playing the game and thinking this game is terrible. Like it 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 fundamentally undercut the way that certain things work. Uh, yeah, that sort of thing just makes me mad. Is why would you ship this really cool game like that, and then yeah. something that teaches people how to play it incorrectly so they can't appreciate the cool stuff that it does? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's 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 a bummer because this is a game that really at its I love designs like this. I think we've talked about this a number of times. I, it's a relatively simple design. Like it is not that complicated. It's not that heavy. Um, but the the intricacy comes from that unique combination of heroes that you're going to be choosing every game and their special powers and how they intersect with each other. And then those those dozen villains that you've chosen, which are going to vary every game you play and their location on the map is going to vary. And that's where all the crunchiness and complexity is going to come from. It's emergent complexity, yeah. which is much more satisfying, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the, the rule book that comes with the game makes it feel like a much more unwieldy game than it actually is and that really is a bummer so just make sure you get the rule book that's available online that's a rewrite and you'll be fine yeah 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 all right so we have uh D- i keep wanting to say ds6 is it no. d6 
Deep Space D6. Oh, like a six-sided die. That just yep. I can't mm-hmm. believe that only just now occurred to me. <laughs> Deep Space D6, uh, which we rec- which I I think we uh, those of us who played it really like Arion, which only I played and didn't care for, but take that with a grain of salt, and uh, Unicornus Knights. So there you have it. Join us in two weeks. I'm Tom Chick, and I'll be back with Mike Pullman and Hassan Lopez next time. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Cheers. It's so ridiculous. It's fantastic.